she told me this incredible story. Men i kunnatistan och det är väl under dessa kompisar. För det är så det är så ofta It just took an open mind. To think awe, we look at incredible stories from a perspective of science and magic. So I'm with Preston Dennett, and would you like to give us uh, a healing story to kind of whet our appetite, though, before I introduce you? Would that be okay? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll give you the first one I ever researched, actually. Okay. This is how I got into researching this particular aspect of UFOs. Uh, I was talking to a lady who I'll call Wendy, who has since become a very good friend. Uh, she was having all kinds of encounters. I know she's for real. She showed me a UFO twice and has a really amazing lifelong story of contact, which is very, very extensive, actually. And I mentioned once that she'd been healed. I'm like, oh, really? Because <laughs> I knew of several famous cases in the literature, and she told me this incredible story. Mm-hmm. diagnosed with a cyst in her fallopian tubes. Mm. It was quite painful, causing her some pretty serious health problems. Uh, it was fully diagnosed, uh, MRI'd and everything, and was, she was set up for surgery. Uh, and it was the night before surgery, actually, that she had an encounter. I find this interesting because that's often how it happens in these cases. The ETs will show up right before surgery actually occurs. And uh, she all she really remembers is ETs coming to her bedroom. She doesn't really remember any details, but thought it was odd that they're showing up the night before she's supposed to go to the hospital. And she went to the hospital, and they did pre-imaging before they do the operation. Excuse me, doctor, you'll note that the um, telltale fluid is present, which would indicate some type of intervention. Yeah, it's clear that there was a procedure that was done um, that was not done within our facility. They came into her room and uh, holding one of the images and said, uh, so you've had surgery? And she said, what? <laughs> no. And they said, oh, yeah, you have. We know you have. because." This is really unusual. Your sis, we can't find it. It's missing. I don't, you're telling me I don't need surgery? You do not need surgery. Nope, not for a cyst. There isn't one there anymore. And there's fluid here that's present in your fallopian tubes, which can only be present uh, following surgery. So who did you have surgery with? And she said, I didn't. I, I did not get another procedure done. This was... Um... At this point, she kind of knew what was going on, uh, but didn't want to tell the doctor. I asked her why. I'm like, why didn't you just tell him? She says, are you kidding? Uh, they would, you know, the men in the white coats would come and take me away. 
And I think that's a valid concern. I have talked to people who've actually been put in a mental institution for going forward mm. uh, and telling their family they believe they've had in contact with the ETs. I mean, one lady lost her baby, uh, lost a relationship with her whole family. It was tragic. So Wendy kept quiet and the doctor's like, well, here's this a laser scar on your abdomen. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was what appeared to be a laser scar. And she, when he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I just don't know. It's, and the doctors were pretty baffled, somewhat upset, mm. and did not do the surgery. There was no reason to do it. And that was the first case that got me scratching my head, thinking maybe this deserves a little bit more of a deeper look. Excellent. So that's a great, great start <laughs> to get us into discussion that I'm looking forward to on this. Um, so let me introduce you formally now. Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, friends, and coworkers were having dramatic, unexplained encounters. And I think they were kind of, you kind of maybe felt they're keeping secrets from you, but like, what's going on here? Since then, he has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He is a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of um, dozens of books and more than 100 articles about UFOs and the paranormal. Is that a good summary? Yeah, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> so, so, so basically, if I were to sum that up, maybe I'd say you're sort of an investigative reporter on awe-inspiring experiences. Is that, yeah. Does that work? Yeah. I never thought I'd be doing this. I was such a skeptic. I, I would add that. <laughs> yes. I, I did not believe in this for one second. And now here it is some 35 years later, and it's taken over my life. It's a good thing. I'm happy about it. But Yeah, I think a lot of people will be shocked to know that I'm talking to you right now, and I'm having this conversation because, I mean, I'm a, my background is... STEM, right? You know, science, uh, technology, engineering, math. And so I've done a lot of engineering work, applying sciences and developing mathematical models for the physical world and that kind of thing. And, uh, but um, there's, there, there's so much evidence to, to me, I'm an empiricist, right? So I, there's so much empirical evidence. There's something there, right? So that's kind of what, drew me into why we're having this conversation right now is kind of like long story short, but I'd be, I'm curious that you mentioned skepticism and, and uh, people being afraid to talk about this and people like their lives are ruined sometimes when they talk about this. Um, I'm, I'm relatively open to, to whatever, you know, I can talk about anything. Talk is, there's no problem with me. So, and some people feel comfortable. So I have had, I've had so many people, you know, they just come up to me. And they start telling me about things like uh, their they had a loved one that passed, and their spirit came back and talked to them. Or they had, you know, they just they relate things to me, and I, you know, I just like, you know, I'm thinking, well, I have empathy for it. My impression now is that these kinds of experiences are probably more common than not. And there's some, I think, Dr. Dean Radin had uh, has done some studies on genealogical correlations genes versus have you had a paranormal experience 
And it, one of the, the surprising things that came out of the research is it was harder to find people that didn't have paranormal experiences than people that did. So I want I want to get your take on this. Like, I mean, are would you, if I were to say paranormal experiences are near normal experiences because they're so common, what do you, what do you think of that statement? Uh, yeah, I, I would say that that's probably a fair statement. I mean, I know my sister, uh, Victoria, says, you know, I've never had anything paranormal happen, ever. And, uh, you know, she just hasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother has, my other brother, my other, you know, I've got five siblings. All, all of them have had one type of paranormal experience or another to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, skepticism can blind you to what might be a paranormal experience. I do think it's far more common. I myself, when I was a skeptic, had a couple of paranormal experiences that I just completely sort of disregarded. I remember I was yeah. nine years old, nine or 10. And ironically, my sister Victoria was there with me watching a game show. It was called Treasure Hunt, just a typical mm-hmm. game show. Mm-hmm. And I knew all the answers. They just came to me. I knew who was mm-hmm. going to be picked out of the audience. I knew which canister had the flowers in it. I knew which box had the check in it. And, and this was like a, a live, it had, this wasn't like a rerun or something, right? No, yeah. that's what yeah. my brother said. Oh, you just watched yeah. a rerun. I'm like, yeah. No, it wasn't. I, I had to ask that question because I know that's what people, skeptics would think. Yeah, th- at that time, I didn't really even think, oh, this is paranormal. I just thought it was weird and funny. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it had us rolling on the ground. And it was just a pretty isolated insul- incident. And it wasn't until years later when I was 19 years old, which is when I started getting drawn into <laughs> the Twilight Zone type of stuff. My mom had passed away tragically. Mm. at a fairly young age, 49, of a heart attack. Mm. And I was vehemently skeptical of all things. I was very scientifically minded mm-hmm. and loved science mm-hmm. and uh, saw her spirit at the service. A full-color apparition appeared right in front of me. And I did mm-hmm. not think ghost or spirit. I thought, mm-hmm. I am losing my mind. I am mm-hmm. obviously delirious with grief. Mm-hmm. Like, like a dissociation experience, they might say, in psychology. Yeah. 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 thought I was hallucinating. Mm-hmm. I've never, never taken hallucinogenics ever mm-hmm. uh, and was not familiar with hallucinations really at all. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even think that either. I just thought, you know, I'm losing. I didn't know what to think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can see how people can disregard a paranormal experience because I've done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Until... But, yeah. Until you compare notes with other people, right? Right. Looking back, I'm like, wow, I'm pretty sure that was a spirit visitation, which mm-hmm. actually, if you look at the statistics, is not uncommon. More than 50% of people who lose a loved one mm-hmm. will have some type of experience. And many of my siblings reported odd experiences uh, as well. None quite dr- as dramatic as mine, but... Uh, I do think it's more common. And ironically, yeah. I'll just add this real quick. Mm-hmm. Finding out that you know UFOs are real and ghosts and other stuff honestly made me even more skeptical in a weird way. Not skeptical mm-hmm. of the phenomenon itself, but skeptical of everything. Because mm-hmm. it shattered my belief system. I had to yes. question everything. And now 
I really have to take a much deeper look. I'm like, is this true? (laughs) What I'm being, you know, what is true and what isn't? And it made me much more careful about believing anything because belief systems are fragile things built on faith and not necessarily true knowledge. That's a perfect segue into a a topic I wanted to cover early, which is social norms. Social norms, social norms for us is just our everyday lives, but also there's social norms in science. I mean, in my experience in my career, there are certain things that people are just used to doing. And I've, uh, I've been able to capitalize on, on some of that by, by some of my patents are actually, it didn't take brilliance to come up with the patent. It just took an open mind in some cases. There are things that people will say, well, you never do that because it becomes unstable but then there are ways you can come close to becoming unstable and then get utilities. So there's like, for example, a reconstruction filter patent that um, actually takes advantage of the instability to, uh, to create a, a, the, the equivalent of what you'd have for like um, going from a digital to analog domain, or, or actually it can go in both directions. And you can do it with half the resources you'd normally need to use because it's taking advantage of things that people normally avoid. Um, but anyway, there's a social norm. I, I've, I've encountered that personally, but also in starting to you know, study the scientific literature, um, you come across stories of people applying the scientific method to, um, it could be a paranormal type thing, and just because of the topic, they weren't able to get their work published you know, over and over again. I don't know if that's something you've you've have a, also an opinion about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I see it all the time in in many fields of science. Science mm-hmm. science has a tendency to become sort of a closed system because anything that doesn't fit in with what's the you know the mainstream thought on that particular topic gets rejected. I mean, we've seen this with anthropology. Michael Cremo's book, Forbidden Arche- Archaeology, I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, was a real eye-opener for me because it sh- showed me how, wow, this happens in a lot of different fields and certainly happened with, you know, Bigfoot research. Mm. Uh, Jane Goodall um, says, you might be surprised to hear this, but I'm a huge believer in Bigfoot. Mm. Jeff Meldrum is a scientist who got converted and uh, there's a lot of research into Bigfoot that is being summarily dismissed. And it's good science. I mean, the Bigfoot Genome Project is a good example. And we definitely see this with UFOs, uh, which have been largely rejected by the mainstream scientific community. Because it is difficult to bring this into the laboratory for, su- for study. Uh, there is a scarcity of hard evidence. Yeah. Uh, but there is actually hard evidence. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are landing trace cases would be a good example. Another would be implant removal cases, which created mm-hmm. quite a furor for, for a while. You're talking uh, UFOs now, not the Bigfoots. Yeah, yeah. UFO yeah. Imp- implants, which is yes. a part of this phenomena. And I would point to medical evidence. The MUFON UFO Journal has a s- section on medical evidence, and it's mm-hmm. entitled Injuries as a Result of a UFO Encounter. Mm-hmm. They, com- they completely ignore the healing aspect. I think that's just sort of a product of our fear-based society, perhaps, or perhaps the tendency to reject evidence that seems 
you know, out of the norm. So I think it's clear, but I want to underscore it, that even within the ufology community, uh, there are people that are skeptical about the healing aspect. Is that exactly? Yes. Exactly. Just due to the nature of this. I mean, I'm not exactly sure why. Um, If it's just because, you know, or fear-based or these accounts are for whatever reason considered more fringe, more outlandish than perhaps an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact is, there are, medical evidence can make or break a case. And mm-hmm. uh, some of the cases that have been brought to the forefront and got a lot of attention are ones that do involve physiological effects. A good case would be the case of Stefan Michalik of Falcon Bridge, Falcon Lake in Canada, who approached a landed UFO and it took off and it burned him. It put grid marks on his chest. It set his shirt on fire. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I remember this one. He yeah. rushed to the hospital mm-hmm. and had severe burns, inflammation, mm-hmm. uh, ended up having a lot of nausea, headaches, uh, weight loss. His blood lymphocyte level dropped dramatically. Uh, he was examined by, I think it was like 40 different doctors who were unable to account for his symptoms as anything other than some type of radiation sickness. This is a good example of a case that did rise to the forefront because it's got hard evidence and can't be ignored. Mm-hmm. Uh, but healing cases, and they do, are some really good evidence cases, have not gotten the kind of attention that they deserve, which is weird to me because pretty much all major researchers have them. I mean, I'm talking about John Mack, Bud Hopkins, David Jacobs, Barbara Lamb, Edith Fiore, Yvonne Smith. And I could go on. These are all the researchers that have the evidence of healing, but don't want to talk about it or don't. Yeah, Bud Hopkins, probably one of the biggest abduction researchers until he passed away, Mm -hmm. uh, never even mentioned UFO healings. And I had to corner him at a convention one day. I'm like, do you have any cases? He says, yes, I have quite a few. I don't know what to make of them. Uh, but yes, these I run across these fairly regularly. I'm like, okay, I thought so, because you never <laughs> mentioned it. Yeah, so, I mean, it seems like here's another example of perhaps a social norm within the UFO research community. It just it's, it's nature. Uh, it's uh, human nature to to fall into that. I'm sure I am blind by my by social norms right now but um whoever is skeptical about this i would invite you to to join us like to peek beneath the this thin veil of the social norm now and there's a there's a gallup poll that came out in august late august august 20th this year the 41 percent of the people who were polled say that ufos uh, some ufos have been alien spacecraft visiting earth from other planets or galaxies. I'm actually not in that camp right now. I don't I can't say I know that. I just know that there's definitely a huge amount of data of anomalous stuff. And um I actually had an interview uh, about 18 months ago with a company that was uh doing research for the Navy and they advertised one thing, but when I got in the middle of the interview it became really clear they were looking for ways to help them gather evidence of what these unidentified flying objects are that they that 
they keep encountering. Um, so it's, you know, and that's kind of come out and been pretty well publicized recently that the Navy's having encounters and having interests. Um, but regardless of, you know, whether they're from another planet or a galaxy or another dimension or they're uh, androids or they're a figment of our imagination, it's fascinating that there are so many records and so many people have said they've seen such similar things. If you look at the history of science, you, you start off with experiences and then you try to start to annotate the experiences and you know, kind of break them down into the, the components and look for correlations and, and so forth. And so you've done some analysis. I, I was uh, reading your healing, the healing power of UFOs, 300 true accounts of people healed by extraterrestrials. And you have an analysis in the beginning and the, and the end of the book where you have a nice summary of categorizations of things and that, that type of thing. I, what I didn't see in there, which I want to ask you about is, if you look at the taxonomy of, you know, because you'll list um, some of the ETs that are involved in, and you'll list um, healing methodologies, and um, and there's some some of the data is missing. But do you have an impression of, like, for example, of a particular type of alien that people experience, let's say a gray, healing a particular ailment, let's say it's cancer, will it pretty much always be light, especially if you look at a certain time period, because there's probably a narrative over time, right? It's not all the same. It may be evolving. Like the type of alien, you've got a craft, you've got, they tend to be healing a certain type of an ailment or injury. They've got certain abilities and they can do it at certain speeds. They've got light or density color associated with heat. They've got certain types of instruments. Um, sometimes things are invisible. They've got feeling you know, people experience feeling energy entering the body or not. There's other perceptual things like smell, sounds. So I may be throwing too much at you, but <laughs> you have you have such a, a wealth of knowledge. I was wondering if you you have you can say, hey, these these types of things are correlated with these types of parameters, if you know what I'm saying. Uh yeah. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. And it's there's a lot of data to work with, uh, mm -hmm. and yeah, I did do a statistical analysis, which, you know, probably there's lots of room for improvement there because, uh, I mean, the the amount of data is a bit overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't a criticism. I was just I was just seeing if we could go a little deeper. Yeah, um, I wasn't able to really find any. You know, I didn't really look for that a pattern of like e certain types of ETs are curing certain types of illnesses. Or focusing on on that, so I didn't even consider that. Uh, or when they when they uh, uh, like cure a, uh, a particular ailment, are they using a particular technique? You know, if everyone's reporting the same technique, that kind of makes it more compelling. Yeah, occasionally I did see that. I mean, there, mm -hmm. I would say most of the healings uh, are involving some instruments, the use of light or the electromagnetic spectrum. Mm -hmm. That turns up quite a bit. Uh, so that was one commonality that I saw in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are about mm, a dozen cases or so, 10 or 20 of people who have been healed of back pain, chronic back pain. And I did see some really remarkable commonalities in the instrument used for that, which was described as sort of this cylindrical type instrument that was placed against their back and pulsed energy into them. Mm. 
Another interesting thing was uh, people described the same type of, I guess I would call it an X-ray type device, which mm -hmm. was described as being the sort of curved plate of metal with various knobs on it, which would fit over a person's chest or abdomen and would project their organs in full living color. Hmm. Like a, a holographic display? Yeah. Yeah, you can see the witnesses really struggling to find the words to describe things that they're not familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, but after you hear, you know, many accounts of them saying this, it becomes clear like, hmm, this sounds like the same instrument exactly that people are describing. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to get all these levels of corroboration, it, it's, I think, lends a lot of credibility to these cases. And someone's like telling me, oh, I've heard, had people tell me, these are all just stories. You know, mm -hmm. that's not science. I'm like, well, wait a second. Science is built upon observation. Eyewitness yeah. testimony is absolutely crucial to science. It's how it works. Uh, yeah. So I don't think that that's a fair argument to say, oh, these are just stories. Because when someone in, you know, yeah. someone in Arkansas is telling the same story as someone in England, is telling the same story as someone in Australia, same story as someone in Africa, and these people do not know each other and ha do not have access to UFO literature. And often there are little details that are not perhaps well known. It's much more difficult now because the subject is getting popular. It is getting into the mainstream. But 30 years ago, um, this stuff was not nearly as well known. And there's many corroborative details that were not within the media that people were describing in almost exact same terms. Uh, so, yeah, the healing's mostly light, I, th I would mm -hmm. say, mm -hmm. is the biggest commonality. Uh, another thing I did find was like with the cancer cures, I um, documented some 30-some cases of people who claimed to have been healed of cancer. Almost always, they were taken on board and mm -hmm. given a full operation. It wasn't just, you know, a beam of light coming down. Uh, flesh wounds are usually cured by a flashlight, like a flashlight-like instrument, which was handheld and put over a person's cut or wound or bruise and cures that. I, I remember you, there, there are stories of extremely dense light, almost like it's a solid um, beam or something like that. Is, that. is that associated with more with flesh wounds or can that be associated with any type of ailment or... Um, that does turn up in cases for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I would, yeah, there's very strange beams of light, the co coherent light. I mean, the light comes down and it, boom, it hits the destination immediately. In some of these cases, it's coming down slowly. Mm -hmm. and, and then, uh, hits the destination and some describe how the light does not reflect at all. And very strange aspects to these light beams that show, I think, these ETs have a deeper understanding of the light spectrum than we do, certainly, because they not only have healing properties, uh, these beams of light are reported to levitate people, render solid objects permeable or invisible, mm -hmm. uh, to communicate through beams of light. Uh, all, a wide variety of burns. Some people are struck by a beam of light and suffer burns. Very famous case in England where Denise Bishop 
was struck by a beam of light from a UFO on her hand, rendered her paralyzed. She had to go to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, you have a laser burn. <laughs> Where did you get this laser burn? Uh-huh. And she says, well, you know, it was a UFO. So there are definite weird aspects to these beams of light, but I haven't been able to like correlate it to any real depth as to what type of beam of light does has what healing property or anything related to the the color because it seems like blue is used a lot green and then then there are other cases where it's orange or yellow or red even purple there was that case where um a police officer was cured of a flesh wound by a purple beam of light yeah and another where a customs official from peru was struck by a purple of light and it healed him of nearsightedness of all things and rheumatism uh, mostly it's white yeah blue orange red green uh, all colors could you tell that story the story of the officer there was two officers one had gotten bitten on his finger by an alligator his son's pet alligator right yeah is that uh, that's that's one of i would say of the 300 cases i documented that's in the top 20 for sure because uh, it's very well authenticated. There are audio recordings of these police officers you can find online uh, where they discuss it. One, of, It involved two officers, Officer McCoy and Officer Good, who were driving mm-hmm. through Damon, Texas in 1965, I believe it was, and uh, saw a large cigar-shaped object over the field next to their cruiser. And uh, it was clearly unusual, silent, very large, and it sent on a beam of light onto the field and started coming towards them. They became alarmed because it looked like it was going to hit them, and it did. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's that? Do you see that? Do you see that? What is it? I don't know. It's you. What is it? It's coming. It's coming closer. Holy crap. What do we do? I don't know. Do we shoot it? Stay where you... No, 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 no. And one of the officers had his arm outside the window. This was the officer who had been bitten by his son's baby pet alligator mm-hmm. and had a wound on his finger, which was bandaged and still painful and inflamed. And uh, he said he felt this beam, he could feel it, the heat of it, and it tingled. It scared him quite badly, and they drove off in fear. <gasps> okay, uh, uh, okay, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Let's yeah, get get out of here. Go, let's go, let's go, let's go, go. Reaching excessive miles per hour, 60 or 70, and pulled off at a diner and went inside to calm down and discuss what had just happened. I can't believe you... this. What was that? I don't know. I just got to sit down. I just got to hey, sit all. down. Yeah, sit, sit down. anywhere you like. You need a... What? You... Your faces are white as sheets. Yeah, what? yeah. We just need to sit down for a second. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Can I get you some coffee or some water? Yeah, sure. Anything. Great. Anything. That's fine. great. That's great. Okay. That's great. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I mean, what's that? I don't know. I, I, oh, was, that light. The, that light, that light. And I, and, you know, my arm was hanging out the door, and then all of a sudden, it, it started feeling like a tingling on it. Like, and, and it was not bad. It was, uh-huh. it, it felt kind of good, but we really super weird. And that's when I freaked, and that's when I, uh, I just I had to get out of there. But it because, didn't hurt. It, it, it was okay. No, like, no, no, no. Everybody, wait a second. What? Well, wait a second. My hand. What? My hand. What, my what, hand what, what's wrong with your hand? It doesn't hurt. 
And that's when um, Officer Good noticed his finger was not painful anymore, pulled off the bandage, and the cut was gone. So it had been healed, presumably, instantly. And uh, this was, of course, verified by Officer McCoy. Um, and I should state that Officer McCoy was a supervisor with 60-some employees beneath him. Uh, there was a general sent over from the local Air Force base who interviewed them. And this became a very well-known case and quite well-publicized. It's appeared in a number of books. And it's undeniable that something happened. <laughs> um, it's a very well-authenticated case. And they were, they, weren't they talking about it in the diner it was as soon as they got there, and then there were some people that showed up and said, "Hey, you should have stuck around because the you could have gone on on board that spacecraft." Yes, there are some weird yes. aspects to this case which are quite puzzling because uh, these people approached them. Do you guys realize that you could have boarded the ship? Uh, excuse me, from the inside. Or the ship. Got, like, gone inside? I, what are you talking about? What do you know about and it? To- told them exactly that, which was odd because they, of course, had not discussed it with anybody. They weren't aware of any other witnesses. Uh, so there's are weird aspects to a lot of these UFO cases. Uh, and it's unfortunate that they didn't stick around because it could have turned into a full-on contact case. Uh, a lot of police officers, by the way, are... UFO witnesses, guessing because they're outside and patrolling, uh, but the abductee population is filled with quite a few police officers. Hmm. Uh, I think higher than the normal, uh, and there's definitely high numbers of police officers and night watchmen, for that matter, and truck drivers and anyone who's outside, kids uh, who are often outside playing. Well, the the uh, the people that get healed. I remember you've got listed here, there's a certain um, tendency, there's a certain uh, type of profession or professions that where people get healed more often. Um, yeah, I was looking yeah. for any patterns as to who's being healed and why. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a lot of people who could use a healing, and most mm-hmm. people obviously are not being healed. So... I'm like, hmm, well, let's look into this. It was evenly divided between men and women. So that wasn't it. Um, it wasn't age. I have cases of very young children, cases of elderly people. It's all over the map there. Wasn't geography, because I mean, these cases are worldwide. Mm-hmm. They reach back over 100 years and are curved pretty regularly. Uh, not blood type or race or religion or Anything that I could find. One major pattern I did find was if you do have a history of UFO encounters, um, starting with childhood and moving onward, you are much more likely to be healed because mm-hmm. this phenomena does track families. So if you have parents who have encounters, grandparents, aunts, relatives, children, uh, and you are having encounters, I would say at least 50% of the cases fall under that pattern. And that's where I, you know, kind of stayed for a while until I started hearing a lot of cases involving social workers. And, I'm, and I thought, well, that's uh, yeah. And I started looking more deeply at people's professions. Yes. 
And uh, it was an awful lot of social workers, a lot of environmentalists, a lot of human rights activists, a lot of artists, musicians, teachers, doctors, uh, inventors, police officers, entertainers. Uh, and it, so that was a pattern that it's kind of a loose pattern, but it keeps turning up. Uh, and I think it's enough that it's significant and that the people who are doing good for humanity in, in some capacity are more likely to have this type of experience. Uh, I remember I was interviewing a lady in Norway and uh, she had no history of UFO encounters. Uh, so that always piques my interest because most people who have a you know, face-to-face encounter have a history of this. Mm-hmm. She didn't. She described how greys, gray type ETs came into her bedroom, flipped her around like a rag doll, put her on her stomach on her bed, held this cylindrical like like instrument against her back. She had had a back injury and had chronic back pain, uh, which was really affecting her performance at her job. Mm-hmm. She said they just filed out and off they went. It was very brief and somewhat traumatic for her because mm-hmm. they never answered any of her questions. And uh, I said, well, what do you do for a living? And she says, well, I'm retired. I worked as a graphic artist, but please don't use my name because now I am very active in my country with human rights and animal rights. And I'm pretty well known in my country uh, for doing that. And I really you know, do not want you to use my name because I don't want it to affect my reputation. I'm like, don't worry, I won't. Uh, but yeah, a lot of social social rights workers, doctors in particular. I mean, Jacques Vallée, very well-known researcher, had a very interesting case involving a medical doctor, uh, which is interesting to me because I, I get a lot of cases involving doctors. And mm-hmm. his case is a good example. It's one of the classic cases. It occurred to a medical doctor in France in the Pyrenees who uh, had a UFO hovering outside his home and he was struck by a beam of light uh, from this object, which co- caused him some confusion. He was dazed. He stumbled back into his bedroom. He was actually in his son's bedroom when this happened, looking mm-hmm. out the window. And was struck on the chest and face by this beam of light. Stumbled back into his bedroom and went to sleep. And woke up the next morning and discovered he was healed of two conditions. Uh, he had two days earlier cut his foot with an axe and had a pretty deep gash there on his foot, his ankle. And that gash was gone. Uh, And not only that, and this is really interesting to me, he had been suffering from partial paralysis from injuries sustained in the Algerian war some years earlier. So this was a chronic condition, Hmm. which actually caused him to give up piano playing, which he was quite good at. And following being struck by this beam of light, he was able to take up piano playing again. So, yeah, a lot of musicians, a lot of doctors. Um, Another really interesting case that sort of cemented this for me was that of Michael Carter, who is pretty high profile within the UFO field. He's written a few books. Uh, He is a reverend and a healer and is actually commended by President Clinton for his work against racism. Uh, and a really neat guy, really nice man. He's African-American ancestry. Mm-hmm. And he has had 
encounters uh, pretty regularly throughout his life. I will say that, but had a very unusual encounter. <laughs> he was suffering from a blood clot in his leg and uh, mm. it had swollen to twice its normal size and very painful. And by the time he went to the doctor, the doctor was horrified. He said, you should have come in much earlier. Life is in grave danger and put him on a whole cocktail of blood thinners and medication mm-hmm. and said, this is going to take a while to heal. And Michael woke up in the middle of the night to see what looked what we would describe as Nordics or human-looking ETs. Mm-hmm. So that they were quite tall, uh, muscular, very handsome, and uh, held up its hand, palm forward, and a beam of light came out of its hand and struck him. It's a very unusual case because mostly people describe this sort of thing. There's an instrument of some technology, but a good 10% of the cases involve what I think we would term psychic healing. Mm-hmm. And uh, as repugnant as that might be to a scientist, you cannot ignore the evidence uh, because that's not going to solve any mysteries. Uh, well, this, this, is a, this is a segue. I, don't, I, I want you to finish what you're your story, but the a segue into psychic healing. I mean, there's so the mystical hearing, healing, shamanic healing, um, healing through you mentioned in your book as well. Yeah. Um, cures okay. from angels and NDEs and OBEs and lightning strikes and all kinds of things, but but especially I wanted to kind of cover the um, the commonality with some of these other. Um, experiences that people have with uh, things like shamanic healing and mystical healing and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, I found that fascinating because I'm like, you know, where are there commonalities? Why, you know, where do where does healing come from? How does it occur? And are there other avenues towards healing that are at all similar to this? And oh yeah, like you mentioned, there are. I was particularly fascinated by the lightning strike cases. But at any rate, with Michael. Carter's case, it appeared to be what we would term as psychic healing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that does turn up in about 10% of the cases. Uh, and uh, he didn't realize what was happening at the time. He just knew he was being visited and this was not a dream. It woke him up. Uh, it was quite a profound experience for him. And he woke up the next morning and instantly recalled what had happened and got out of bed, couldn't wait to tell his family. And looked down at his leg, and it was normal size. And not only that, he said it looked as if his veins or arteries had been somewhat rerouted. Uh, and uh, he had no pain. It looked normal. He was seeing the doctor regularly. He went to the doctor, I think it was maybe not that day, but within days, three days, I think it was, later. And the doctor was absolutely astonished and again, wanted to know what had happened. And like most witnesses, Michael said, just be happy for me, I, you know, and did not want to tell him. I have mm-hmm. some cases where people have told their doctors. The case of uh, Jim Schaefer in Canada was cured of cancer. And he had been very upfront with his doctor the whole time because I mean, he'd wake up with puncture wounds and bruises and other you know, physiological effects and told his doctor, I think I'm being visited by ETs. The doctor had to believe him. And he told his doctor, of course, he had this huge cyst on his neck, which was protruding and bone hard. Mm -hmm. Had a UFO healing experience. The cyst was gone. Told his doctors up front, 
I think ETs healed him. And the doctors didn't, you know, they did an operation to remove this tumor, uh, did not find any cancer, um, found only necrotic tissue. Uh, he sent me his medical records. Mm. And uh, they did not write down healed by aliens uh, because they can't. I mean, they did not see that happen. It could have been any anything. They, I think they put a spontaneous remission or unexplained healing mm -hmm. uh, along those lines. Uh, but there are good evidence for this. And yeah, in some cases, it appears that these cases involve what would be psychic healing and not necessarily a technological instrument. So, and the psychic healing and how all these things connect together, there's all these different pieces of the puzzle, sort of like the three blind men in the elephant story. You know, each one grabs a hold of a piece and, hey, I've got a snake, I've got a fan or whatever. And then the bigger picture is just an elephant. So in trying to get the bigger picture, one of the things I found fascinating, there are a few of these actually, where there's, you have teenagers out and, you know, walking around, like uh, there's like, in some cases, like two sisters and a friend or something like that. And then a spacecraft appears, but this is what they have in common. At first, they're scared and maybe like scared out of their wits, like intensely scared. And they're like, let's run away. A beam of light comes down. And once they're in one of the, let's say one out of the three or four, or however many people there, one of them gets engulfed by a beam of light. And instantly they go from sheer panic to blissful calm. The state of blissful calm is something I, uh, it, people that meditate experience this, people that um, pursue esoteric things in general, when they have success, often it's in this state of blissful calm. It's the oneness, you know, with the universe, a feeling of love, a feeling, there are always many different ways to describe it, but it's pretty much the opposite of sheer terror. But there are cases where, where in um, uh, accidents or other traumatic experiences, people will go from this, you know, sheer terror or it's like an opposite, like they, all of a sudden it's like a switch, bang. So I found it really interesting these cases where once they're in that light, they have that same state of mind and paranormal uh, experiences are apparently very common. Like, you know, just an array of paranormal experiences are that are distinctly, let's say, separate from seeing a UFO or an alien or something are also common when people experience um sometimes just seeing UFOs or encountering aliens or that type of thing. So I was wondering your take on that. Yeah, yeah, I find that fascinating. Um, there are many, many cases. I think most researchers have cases like these where a person will be struck by a beam of light and their terror turns to, like you said, tranquilizing calm. I'm wondering if in these cases, these ETs are doing this intentionally and have you know, the ability to sort of perhaps activate a section of our brain that will cause, well, not only paralysis, but feelings of joy and tranquility and peace and, and almost a feeling of enlightenment, if you will. And you've experienced this yourself, 
I would imagine. I don't know. I mean, it was that safe. It, I don't know if you want to share that part, but um, your own. Yeah, yeah I personally have not been struck by a beam of light from a UFO. No, I mean, I just uh, meant like through meditation or other experiences. Yeah, yeah, but I have had out of body experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And this is something we do here with near death ex experiencers. They will yes. be in the middle of trauma and are mm -hmm. pulled out of their body and into a tunnel of light and feel mm -hmm. the greatest joy and love and peace that they've ever experienced mm -hmm. in their life. And there's a UFO case, I mean, several of them, which have really strong commonalities to a near-death experience. Because here we have a person who is experiencing a life-threatening event. And the next thing they know, they're being sucked up in a beam of light and feel great and are being cured. And uh, there are a number of cases of, I mean, I've talked to people personally. Uh, there was a family friend who was dying of cancer and was, was expected to pass away and had a near-death experience. And the cancer mysteriously disappeared. And Melvin Morse talks about this. He's a near-death researcher of many people who've been healed as a result of a near-death experience. And I looked in the out-of-body literature and cataloged some 20 cases of people who were cured of all manners of illness, including chronic disease. Mm -hmm. So there is something to that for sure. Uh, and really strong commonalities between some of these near-death experiences and UFO healing cases, uh, I would imagine they are separate phenomena. I mean, that's my assessment, certainly, because when someone has a near-death experience, they generally don't see aliens. There are a few outlying cases where people are sucked up, you know, have a near-death experience and end up being taken on board a UFO. So being a sort of devil's advocate, or, or you know, it's the wrong word, but just exploring this idea of commonality. There are NDEs, you know, near-death experiences reported where, um, you know, people will see past loved ones, but they also sometimes encounter entities that they, that are amorphous, that um, they're communicating with telepathically and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yep. Many commonalities actually. And for that matter, angels, some of the angel stories involving healing are very curious because here we have like a glowing light being entering someone's room and healing them. And depending on your belief system, mm -hmm. and uh, you might cate categorize this as an angelic experience or vice versa for that matter. If you're like a big believer in UFOs and you have a glowing light being <laughs> coming to your room, you're like, ah, alien. Yeah. Uh, and some of these, I mean, there's certainly bleed through, I'm sure, in some of these cases. If you look into the literature on angels, uh, it's quite compelling. Uh, I am not entirely unconvinced that angels aren't real. I mean, some of these cases are pretty, a lot of people believe this in angels. And so, uh, I would what, imagine, yeah, some of these cases might be angelic as we would think of them. Uh, so, I mean, there there may be a a vast cast of characters, or there may be a a fewer number of characters that just have various costumes. Let's say, <laughs> I mean, how do we know, right? I mean, people are experiencing things, and they have so many things in common, but they may report seeing different things. One of the things that struck me about um, shamanic journeying and um, and the uh, mystical uh, experiences and 
and out-of-body experiences and astral projection, a lot of things in common. Some may say they're all the same. Some may say they're not. They definitely have things in common. And depending on your cultural background, you may end up talking to a spirit that, you know, is, may end up talking to Jesus, or you may end up talking to um, Gandhi, or you may talk, you know, they're, they're these right. like luminaries that end up being there for conversation. And it's interesting, sometimes people will have a conversation with someone and later find out, oh, that was a luminary. Like they didn't even, it wasn't even part of their culture. They'll find out later. Um, so when you put all these pieces together, it definitely is, um, is fascinating. I, it's, we haven't talked much about um, orbs, orbs potentially being, in some cases, they're the entity's energy or something to that effect, or in some cases, it's a portal. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah, the whole orb phenomena um, is definitely an area that's ripe for more research <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, because there are a lot of reports of it. And uh, this is another area where there's definitely some bleed through or commonalities because some people will see orbs and it will suddenly elongate and widen and boom, it's their deceased grandma coming to visit in their bedroom and say, I'm fine. And others will have an orb come to their um, bedroom and same thing. It sort of elongates and expands and it's, an, it's a gray. Or some will have an orb enter their body. This is what happened to Jim Schaefer. Uh, hmm. He actually filmed it. He was filming orbs flying through his house because he had a lot of them going on. And this, I believe, is UFO-related because he was having all the other phenomena that go along with that. Uh, but that's how he got his healing. And I know another lady who just I spoke with recently had uh, banged up her hand pretty bad and had an orb go right into it. And mm. she says it healed it. And the orb phenomena is very strange. Um, Isn't it? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, I wonder if some of these are probes or like little alien drones. Uh, but clearly, some are spirits. Some are extraterrestrial. But there might be another explanation entirely. It seems like they're extremely common. I was cruising through the um, dark vault, CIA released documents on UFOs, and saw a few documents on. China UFO Society meets and scientific symposia on UFOs in the 90s and uh, there are a few other times. But when one place they were giving statistics on UFO sightings and orbs, fireballs, ball lightning, you know, they, they all kind of seem like in the same approximate class. They said those types of light phenomenon are by far the most common sighting. About a week after that interview I, I mentioned before, with that turned out to be someone who wanted image processing help to auto-identify UFO things, I saw something in the sky, and my theory at the moment is it could possibly be the government, basically military, has these cargo airplanes that have been retrofitted with megawatt lasers. In other cases where it's like 330 kilowatt lasers, but extremely high-powered lasers that have extremely good accuracy from like at least a mile away they can hit like a target the size of a square yard so there's some claims that they can hit it from 10 miles away i'm a little skeptical about that but the point is they can hit it from very far away now imagine if you have a few of these and they intersect now your energy density is high enough you could actually cause the atmosphere to burn and you'd see a fireball 
or it could come close to that, you could have corona, in which case you'd see like a pinkish, purplish light, and you could have things across the spectrum, basically. So imagine having that, and now they have an extremely good servo mechanism to hit a square yard from a mile away. So if it's that good, it could probably be dynamic to the point where you could scan. You can have multiple beams from multiple crafts scanning, and you can take a single light and move it around. With the technology to do beam forming, you could potentially have uh, did digital holography for compound photonics and did one of their first digital holograms things in-house. And so there are ways you can basically have all these individual balls of light moving all around. And what I saw made sense that way because it had all the five observables, right? It had apparently instantaneous acceleration, extremely high speeds, and the acceleration includes being able to decelerate. So it's just going extremely fast in one direction, stops on a dime, and then goes 90 degrees in a different direction, stops on a dime. Extremely bright light, one of the brightest things I've ever seen in, in, during the day against a blue sky. So I don't know, if is any of this kind of ringing a bell in terms of the, what the military has or what it could do? Is, uh... Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you do any type of research into technology and technological development within military, it's clear that they have very advanced technology that's not being uh, released to the public. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, whistleblower type accounts talking about this. And uh, particularly, you know, currently, a lot of what people are seeing, we have to be yeah. very careful about with drone technology. And as you mentioned, lasers and holograms, uh, it is, be quite easy to basically replicate all kinds of what we would think of as typical UFO encounters. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, you can't be too careful. And I've talked to a number of whistleblowers and uh, they have told me that we actually have reverse engineered this stuff. And this is pretty well known within the UFO community. Uh, you know, the whole UFO crash retrieval phenomena that's the best evidence that there would be out there. I mean, the actual craft, the alien bodies, the technology, and yet, as far as the public arena, those stories are just that, stories. We don't actually have access to the hard evidence. But it's clear that we probably do have it within military hands. And I've been told over and over again from people who are in a position to know that some of the stuff that's flying around is not alien by any means. It is us, uh, that we do have craft, that we are actually flying around, and that we do have laser-like technology to create very convincing holographic images uh, that would yes. you know, absolutely <laughs> be believed to be a UFO. So it's very concerning. Uh, and I mean, even with Photoshop, your average citizen can put together a fairly convincing UFO video or photograph. Uh, so it's a real problem in the field. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. If you, you could take Blender, for example, which is you know a great tool for animation and make very realistic looking, essentially generated things. And with AI, there are generative neural nets where you can generate very realistic images and then manipulate them to create things more or less out of thin air that look realistic. So um, I think that's probably already mudding the water quite a bit, as you're saying. I mean, that it's hard enough to know what to believe already. <laughs> that's making it harder. Yeah, it's unfortunate because I don't entirely trust our government with this subject. They're, re 
their track record on telling the truth about UFOs is dismal. It's heinous. <laughs> They've been caught lying over and over again and covering up the truth. That's not speculation. The cover-up is easily demonstrable. So yeah. I'm very, very concerned about that. There's evidence that other governments do the same kind of thing. One of the documents on China mentioned a Chinese program to make imitation or mock or basically try to replicate UFO-type vehicles, drones that look like flying saucers or that kind of thing, and so that they had plausible deniability. So they could say, oh, that was us, if they needed to say that it was us. You know, like it was their technology if they needed to say it. Which is useful for a whole bunch of reasons, it seems to me. On the one hand, a government could say, you know, to their citizenry, don't worry about UFOs. We have the superior technology, so we, we have the upper hand. Um, <laughs> there's, there's that kind of thing, right? And then there's also, you're in a stronger position if you're worried about your adversaries having technology, if you at least make them believe that you have something that's superior to their technology. You kind of have both of those things going on. So I can see politically why it would make sense to to at least have something that looks that way. I was thinking, though, for the fireball I saw in the sky, what came to my mind was the Star Wars and Space Force and the strategic air defense against ICBMs. Because if you have a missile that's entering our airspace and it's on its way down to explode, in some cases it's too late to do much, what can you use to defend yourself against that? It seems like it's got to be something like a laser because otherwise you can't have the acceleration required to intercept that missile in many cases. It takes just way too long to get there. So I was thinking there may be some something like that that's going on that also could muddy the waters. I'm going to maybe give us whiplash <laughs> to bring up another topic, which is cattle mutilation. That just seems like, what's up with that? Do you know the statistics? Because I've heard some estimates that it may be millions of cases of these or something, or at least hundreds of thousands of cases. It's vastly underreported. I can say that for sure. Okay. Um, I have done some research into it. I'm by no means a mutilation researcher. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people who specialize in, in this. I haven't, but I've Definitely tracked it, watched it closely, and did some pretty deep research for a couple of books, UFOs over Colorado and okay. UFOs over New Mexico, uh, which tells the history of UFO activity in those states. And I had to tackle the mutilation subject because those states are the two hardest hit in terms of cattle mutilation, certainly. Mm -hmm. It's not just cattle mutilations. It's not just those states. Mm -hmm. It's all over the world, all types of yeah. animals. Uh, the whole cattle mutilation phenomenon is very complex. Uh, there does seem to be a UFO connection, but on the other hand, there's a lot of black helicopter activity. And talking to the main researchers on this, a number of them, of the very high profile ones, have ultimately come to the conclusion that this is probably government doing it. Gabe Valdez, I would point to, and uh, Larry Fawcett and a few others. Uh, because it's clear their government is aware of it. Uh, I've been told by contactees who have full-on conscious contact that no, it is not the ETs doing it. I am a little on the fence about it because there are pretty clear-cut cases with UFOs being involved. Uh, but I don't know. It's a very complex phenomenon. I know that it's fairly widespread 
I know it's a huge problem and it's still ongoing. Um, and ranchers mostly don't talk about it. You say there are other animals. I haven't heard much about other animals. Are these other animals ever in the wild or is there always like agricultural animal, you know, like uh, animals in a, on a farm or something like that? Um, usually wild animals. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, there are a number of farm farming anecdotes where people say uh, their animals have been taken. Uh, not, perhaps not so much mutilated, but kidnapped, so to speak. Mm. I mean, one, I guess a rabbit farmer in France talked about how he saw little short humanoids come stealing his rabbits. He tried to shoot them. Uh, the gun became super heavy and he was paralyzed and off the ETs, presumably ETs, went mm -hmm. with his rabbits. And I, I did a whole research study on this subject and many, many animals have been taken, abducted, so to speak. Uh, but most of those don't end up as mutilations, but there are a number of cases of all different types of animals that have been found, usually in the wild, uh, mutilated. So the cattle, they're farm animals. The rabbits are farm animals. In terms of the wild animals, on the wild side of things, are there some trends or certain types of animals that are more commonly mutilated than others? Um, by far, it's cattle. Um, in terms of other animals, I couldn't really tell you. I do know that cattle DNA has long, well, most DNA that is remarkably similar to uh, each other. Uh, but cattle DNA has long strands that are pretty much identical to human DNA. So that mm -hmm. could be what's going on here, that our military, or perhaps even in some cases the ETs, are harvesting the DNA, because DNA does seem to be something they're very interested in on both sides. Mm -hmm. so, I don't know. I haven't done a whole lot of research into the whole mutilation, so it's hard for me to speak on that in particular. But I'm aware okay. of it, and I, I am definitely interested to know if this will ever be solved. I sure hope so. Uh, but our government is certainly going to have to answer to this in some capacity. So I think uh, we're... We may be running out of time here. I really appreciate all your time and what you've brought us here today. And I do have a kind of a closing question is, is there anything that you wish someone would ask you about or you just like to talk about? <laughs> uh, well, I would say in closing that this is a very important subject. People might not believe in UFOs and say, oh, it doesn't affect me. I'm like, mm, well, yeah, it does. This is having a profound effect on society in many ways. If this technology is being withheld from us, if we have healing technology, which I think we do, that's having a profound effect. And if, you know, if there is a cover-up, and I think there is, it's easily proven, uh, that could change the world if we actually got the truth out about this. And we're on the verge of open official contact. I mean, we might actually be in a position where it's not a mystery at all and that everyone will know because if like the Phoenix Lights of 1994 were to happen today, it's game over. Everyone would know this is a real phenomenon. And I think we're probably close to that possibility. You know, that pop could happen. That could happen very easily. ETs could end this whole mystery overnight. Calling it a UFO mystery is almost 
unfair because I think certainly the, our own government knows they know, no, no, what this is. This is extraterrestrials. I think that's my assessment. I can't prove it. There are other theories like it's a phenomenon that wears different masks. I don't subscribe to that theory. I think there is interdimensional aspects to this and other weird symbolic stuff. There's a lot going on. A lot of stuff falls under the UFO umbrella that might not necessarily belong there. But extraterrestrials, I think, are here. <laughs> I think the evidence speaks towards that and that one day this will come out, whether through government disclosure or an ET event or someone, some citizen get, getting a hold of evidence. It's going to happen. But you just actually jogged another memory. So I was thinking of the summoners, and there's like a summoners movement, it seems like. Yep. And there's also Stephen Greer and his... Uh, C. Seti. Yes. And the... Uh, EC, was it EC5? Is that my... Or is it? Yeah, CE5. Yeah. CE5, yeah. sorry. Yeah, I got it mixed. Yeah, is that... How does that fit into what you were just saying? Yeah, that's a growing movement initiating an encounter. It, I've done it myself. I've done it with groups of people. I've done it for television programs, encounters, and the Learning Channel. And uh, this is absolutely possible to do. Uh, and I think that's the forefront of UFO research. Could you give episodes? I think our listeners would probably be interested in. They can go straight from this podcast to watching some of those. Oh, gosh. I couldn't tell you the actual name of the episode. The okay. show Encounters did it. Mm -hmm. um, mm, I know. I forget the name of the show that was on the Learning Channel. But it's not hard to find. There are many, yeah. many cases of this. Uh, just type in CE5, and it's really quite impressive. All right. What's your assessment of uh, Stephen Greer's claims of false flag and the rest of that? Um, I have no direct evidence, but I'm certainly worried about it because it does feel like the, our government is pushing the ET threat narrative, and it's not warranted. I mean, just the healing cases show that I don't think they're here to hurt us. They've been around for millennia. There's, they're healing people. They're warning people. They're imparting spiritual wisdom. The evidence shows the opposite. I don't believe they're a threat. All right. I think that's a great note to end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I hope uh, we'll have another conversation in the future. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Anytime. All right. All right. Thanks. Right. Bye. Thanks again for our guest, Preston Dennett, and to our Portland, Oregon playback actors, Anise Gee, Bryn Barron, and Ross Laguza. Today's sponsor is Debone.com. Music today was from my Pure Fractals 2 album set. I'm your host, Kevin Ferguson. Thanks for checking out Think All. And thinkall.com. We'll be back soon.